In an age with too many movies for one person to watch them all, we are here for you. I am Jody Berman Kustanovich. And I am Yechiel Hoffman. And we are two movie Jews. So many movies, so many more opinions. Okay, so we are back. It's a big time of year for movies. Think over Thanksgiving weekend, I saw nine movies, some on streaming and some in the theater. And it's just my absolute favorite time of year because the best movies are coming out. They are. I also feel like I missed a bunch that came out like during the holiday season or October when I was busy. And, and now they're gone from theaters to make room for, you know, movies like Wakanda Forever that have to take up every screen. Yeah. Like, all the smaller movies are getting squeezed out. It's an interesting time, and so I'm like sitting here patiently waiting for those movies that were in theaters a month ago to like, find their way to a streaming site. But definitely the window is is smaller now between you know, movies in theaters and not. Like there's a movie Amsterdam that I did not get to see in theaters that's already going to be on HBO next week, and I'm I like, know, okay, I guess I make me regret that I did see it in theaters. <laughs> I'd love to just take some time to check in on like what you've been seeing. You know, I mean, nine movies over a weekend is pretty awesome. Yeah. I did not get to see nine movies. I did get to go to the theaters for the first time in a while uh, oh. over the weekend. Um, I shouldn't say that because I did just see Wakanda forever. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did. I saw a bunch of movies. And, you know, this is the time of year when I am trying to figure out and make predictions about what's going to get nominated so I can knock movies off my real dream is for the day of the announcements to say oh, i've already seen everything i'm done on day one but uh that's highly unlikely but i have been you know gaming and reading every article and trying to figure out what i should see um and there are some excellent prog prognosticators out there so i'll i will highlight two uh the other night in theaters we saw holy spider it's a foreign language film contender will without a doubt be in the top five um, and, you know, support your local your local Lemley theater because they always show the best films. Um, and it's it's uh, out of Iran. It's an incredible story um, based on a true story about a um, a serial killer who is killing prostitutes on the street for Allah, like he he believes that he is doing a ritual cleansing for this holy city. It's both a cat and mouse game. Uh, a woman reporter comes to town to try to figure out what's going on and see if she can figure it out. Uh, it's a really incredible, like I think there's a possibility that the lead actress could end up with a best actress nomination. It's totally cat and mouse. And even when they figure out who the murderer is, it's not so clear that the people think that he's been doing the wrong thing. So it's an excellent film. Highly recommend. The other one that I saw, which it, it has some buzz, some Oscar buzz for at least the performances, is on Netflix. It's The Good Nurse with uh, Eddie Redmayne and Jessica Chastain. And it's about a nurse who basically murders patients and it gets away with it for quite some time and his best friend jessica chastain who helps sort of figure out what he's been doing and helps the police that is by the way not at all a spoiler she figures it out very early in the film and it happens very early in the film so those are two that i will give a little you know a little boost to because both of them were totally captivating and excellent yeah i saw the nurse too and it was kind of one i guess i was waiting my watch list for a while i will say there's like a category of movies this time of year where i'm like these are movies with great performances that i don't i think could have been better movies hmm. and the other one i saw was causeway which is on apple plus yeah jennifer lawrence and brian tyree tyler henry I mean, they're both movies, which I appreciated, actually, slower pacing and, yeah. and a buildup. But the performances are really what makes it captivating. So I would really, I felt like both of those, especially watching them at home on a smaller screen, helped me actually get into it. I think I would have been bored sitting in a movie theater 
mm. watching them. Um, I feel there's a lot of borrowing now from films to television. Just in terms of the scope and the shape of a movie and the intimacy that these movies felt like great television just in a two-hour story. And I think yeah. the borrowing between the storytelling, uh, way of telling stories between the two mediums are starting to get you know, more familiar. And we're definitely seeing TV shows that feel like movies just spread over eight hours, like the Lord of the Rings, I mean, the Power of the Rings, or whatever it's called yeah. on Amazon. Yeah. I, the, the movie, which I will say I wish I could have seen in theaters, I know it was out for a little bit, very briefly, is an Indian film called RRR, which is on Netflix. And it's probably the best action film I've seen in years. Of course, it's Indian, so you're going to have to, like, there's definitely going to be a, a unnecessary, amazing musical number dancing. <laughs> um, but really brilliant movie. I'm not sure I agree 100% with some of its politics. Outrightly, amazingly well-made movie that is both very Indian, but also very influenced by Hollywood cinema. Um and so that's why I think makes it accessible to an American audience, but just an absolute delight to watch. And, and one I would strongly recommend to anybody just uh, it's long, it's like three hours and you don't even realize 15 minutes have passed. Like it's yeah. so, it just moves and it's a great story and it's great characters and, and you really connect. And, uh, but I would strongly recommend it. It's a, it's a great movie. Um, it just because of the, the way this movie is shot and the choreography of the fight scenes, it would have been amazing to see it on the big screen, but it's worth even catching on Netflix. All right. Well, I'll do it. You know, the other thing is there's a ton of Jewish content out right now. Um, Menorah in the middle is a, yeah, like, you're not going to trick me into seeing a Hallmark Christmas film just because you throw in Jewish content. It totally was, but I'll tell you, it was so Jewy and I really loved it. Plus the Fablemans is in, isn't well, I really want to do a Jewish family episode after watching The Fableman. So I'm not going to say much about The Fableman now. So right. I'm hoping in the next in the next month or so, we can actually do an episode on the Jew, the Jewish family in cinema. Because Love that's it. all I can think of when watching this movie is that there's a genre of like, how does cinema tell that story? And you oh, know, we yeah. go back, way back. To, to times that story has been told, but all right, that's a that's a deal. We will circle back on that. So you know, there's a. I'll just say there's a lot of great stuff out, um, and also breaking news: the Academy announced today that instead of cutting out some of the presentations of some of the awards like they did last year it was super weird. They announced today that they're going to be broadcasting all 23 awards. You Is know that really, like, Jody? I don't really care about this news. Like I so care about this news. Someone who either cares about did I get that? Did I did my pick it correctly right? Which I really just have to look up on the internet to see whether it won or not. Oh, you're kidding! I don't need to sit through like the sound editor's uh, awards acceptance speech. Like you, no, I was I was delighted last year that I didn't have to push the fast forward button as much as I had to in previous years. (laughs) And and if it wasn't for the will slaps around the world. It would have been actually a shorter show. Uh, I'm all for shorter shows. I'm all for uh, you know, like either either stop giving out so many awards. Like I was thinking about it the other day as I was watching some movie and, and debating whether or not it should be nominated for best song, and thinking to myself like, why do we even have a best song category anymore? This this. Oh seems my like- god, you're killing me! And especially Di- you know, Diane Warren. Got an honorary Oscar. Yeah, they gave it to her because they're like, listen, we're never going to give you a real award. So we're just going to give you an honorary award. It's so unfair. She has 13 nominations. She has got to win a freaking, you know, competitive Oscar. They will get rid of that award. They don't even want to have the performers. The only reason we're giving out that award because they like to have the performers, you know, singing their songs. And then that will stop them from doing that as well. Yechiel, this this is going to come to blows, my friend. I, I'm okay. telling you, within five years, we're not going to have award shows on broadcast networks. Oh, you're killing me. You're killing gonna, me. The ratings are going down. I know. Nobody's watching this. You're going to have them on the internet, and then you're going to do a highlight show um, for that. And you can look back at that moment when Will Smith slapped Chris Rock as saying that was the beginning of the end. Oh my God. Yechiel, what do you like? Is there anything else? Would you like to pee in my cereal? I would rather watch you talk about the winners <laughs> of the awards than have to watch the Academy Awards. All right. I am going to ask our listeners to tweet at Two Movie Jews 
and Wait, let us know. Twitter's done. So go onto our Instagram because oh, that's we are right. That's right. Going on Twitter anymore. Okay, fine. Go to Instagram and weigh in on this debate. Will the Oscars still exist in all their glory in five years from now? So, and then I want to ask: Does anybody really want to see all those awards that they cut out of the show? Okay, fine. You let us know. Yes or no? Want to see all the awards? Yes or no? Will the Oscars exist? Because well, let's be honest: there's only four crop. awards anybody wants to see actually winning, and that's the four actors ones because they have no idea who Joe Schmo writer is or Joe Schmo editor. But like, what are you gonna do? So you're gonna do five awards, best picture and the four acting awards? That's no pretty much director, the Grammys no now. No screenplay, no costume That's design. pretty much the Grammys. Like they just do the top awards and they have a bunch of performances. Yechiel, we should never look to the Grammys for anything. Oh my God, you're killing me. I have spent more time watching the Grammys for the last few years than the Oscars. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're killing me. All right, we've got to jump into Remember our topic. the horrible Oscar right. show inside the train station? That was horrendous. Oh, yeah. I, but you know what? It was it was pandemic. They, I thought it was great for what they could provide. And then last year, they cut out a bunch of the awards. And I didn't like it. I was very unhappy about it. And I still would be. That's why you didn't like the show last year? Because they cut out a bunch of awards? No, I loved the show last year. I always loved the show. But I was sad that I missed three awards. That was terrible. It was so unfair. Just think of being like a sound editor your whole career. You finally get nominated. You win. And your mother has to hear about it later. Like, so unfair. First of all, they do live stream it. So they were able to see it on the internet. Second of all, second of all, if you're a sound editor, you can barely afford the outfit nobody would pay to dress you in. <laughs> third, third of all, you're just happy that you got a statuette that you get to give to your mother. It's oh, not about being on the show. You're so cynical. It's like, wait a minute. I, what would you do? Have a bar mitzvah like, hey, just let me know that you got the certificate? And I, mean, the I would like to put out the bar mitzvah you Go have the after party. It's all anybody really wants. Oh, my God. Okay, we have to talk about Marilyn Monroe because you are killing me. <laughs> well, I, I think this is actually perfectly fit for Marilyn Monroe because what people <laughs> wanted from Marilyn Monroe, Marilyn Monroe couldn't give them. But yet That's they it. wanted more and more and more until he had nothing left to give. Well done. I like the parallel. And by the way, speaking of someone who's never even nominated for an Oscar... That would be Marilyn Monroe, never not, never even nominated. Well, so, we can discuss uh, whether that was uh, a gift or a curse. Okay, so first of all, there are a lot of Marilyn Monroe movies. We kind of picked our favorites, but there are also some Marilyn Monroe uh, uh, Marilyn. Yeah, people who played Marilyn, and we each picked picked one that we thought we would talk about so let's jump let's be honest like neither of us were big maryland people we're not like not like i have a giant maryland statuette uh sitting in my room or a cutout Uh, (laughs) i don't own the dress from you know uh from the movie right right and walk on you know subway grades occasionally blonde came out and we started talking about like you're either you're a maryland person you're not and we weren't. And what happens when a movie like Blonde comes out? And you mentioned there's other movies about Marilyn that have come out since her passing over, yes. what, 40 years ago? Yes. And what is it about Marilyn that's still a part of our zeitgeist? And what is it about these movies that keep her in our conversation and in our zeitgeist? And what, and, and Blonde itself, like, what did, it, what did that movie do? Did that add to it? Did that take away from it? Um, does it help a new generation like stir up the you know Maryland fervor, yeah. or does it is it like a an ironic punch in the gut about like our obsession with Marilyn Monroe? I, I think every time any of these movies come up, this is the one above all the other Marilyn movies that I think was trying to be as meta as possible. Yeah, uh, the other ones are more like nostalgic, I would say. That's right, and I have to say, seeing Blonde triggered both of us to go back and watch some actual Marilyn Monroe movies. Both, by the way, because I was curious having watched Blonde, like how did it depict those movies and, and the backstory? But also like, you know, maybe I haven't given Marilyn enough credit. Well, I'll tell you, like, at least with one of them that I rewatched, 
I was asking myself this question and I asked it of you and I'm going to ask it of you now. Was Marilyn Monroe even a good actress? I'm not sure where I, you know, I watched The Seven Year Itch, which I have a lot to say about that film and that I think it was a terrible film except for really the famous scene. But um, I was really struggling with, is this a good performance or is this just her being Marilyn Monroe? So. I don't know. I think Blonde and many of the other films about Marilyn, uh, especially the one like Norma Jean and Marilyn, I think was from the 90s by HBO with Ashley Judd and Mira Servino, um, take a stance that really there's the real Norma Jean, who is this young girl from from Hollywood, who are yeah. really just outside of Hollywood, who wanted to become a Hollywood star, sacrificed a lot, including creating a persona that kind of replaced her in the public image and she had to fight to like break herself free of that i think that the general stance and thesis of a lot of these movies and books that have come about her and so i'm i wanted to go back and look at these movies to ask that question like a like is this a persona that's showing up in every film and it's sometimes hard for us to attribute um the quality of acting these performances when she's being forced to play her persona. When I mean forced, she was part of what is still like the end end era of the Hollywood contract system where she was basically owned by a studio, told what parts to play. And basically in order to enable her to continue her career, she had to play the part the way they wanted her to. And it torched her. Now, I did not spend a lot of time watching some of the, er the movies from like the 40s and early 50s where really it just feels like stock Maryland. I started being interested in like what happens when Marilyn start, gets enough power to start to choose her role. So she's still playing the persona, but every role feels like almost a commentary on the persona. So mm. she's still playing the part. It kind of reminds me of little, of a, what's her name? Uh, what was that animated character from like the thirties? Betty, uh, Betty Boop. She's playing a blonde Betty Boop character, but start to pick roles where when she plays that character, it's also a commentary on that character. Like there's mm. a, almost like a fourth wall breaking and almost a wink saying, Hey, I'm playing that character you want me to play. And I'm so good at it. Wow. And like actually making fun of you for liking it or for being attracted to it. And that takes acting. And I'm, I'm trying to think of other actors from our era that kind of have been asked to do that too. I think of Jim Carrey mm -hmm. who for so many years had to play a certain type of character yeah. uh, coming off of living color and, and Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. And it really took years, maybe Truman Show, yeah. to finally allow him to. But if you even look about it, he never really got to fully escape that character. Even when he played dramatic roles, he was he was still having to play that kind of like energy. Otherwise, people got turned off. There was a movie called The Majestic, which Jim Carrey made yeah. with Frank Darabont, the bomb, because I think he wasn't, he didn't play the role people wanted Jim Carrey to play enough. And by the way, I love that movie. I love the movie Majestic. I thought it was a beautiful but movie. I understood that. You know, unlike Cable Guy, which came out, I think, right before that, where he was clearly playing up that persona and doing it in a brilliant way. I thought it was a brilliant performance, but clearly in that persona. So I'm just saying we see that a lot from a lot of SNL actors. Hmm. There. And I do think there are still certain actors that have to play up sex in that way. That hmm. like, no matter what, are always playing that sexy character. Denise Richards is an example of that for me. Like you could, in the 90s and 2000s, Denise Richards was possible. You couldn't see her come into a movie where she wasn't able to play that character. I would say Jennifer Aniston has never really been able to escape Rachel. She has been playing Rachel in every performance she's ever given. Yeah. Um, so... I'm sure we could pick a part to see this, but I think we still see this in a certain way. We could even argue Tom Cruise saying, still playing the same damn freaking mm -hmm. character. Yeah. And it's, it's ironic that this year, finally, he, he's got his biggest hit ever, basically yeah. playing the same character he's played the last 20 years, but people, that's all they wanted to see him in. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Robin Williams, I think, was stricken with that too. People want to see Robin Williams in a certain type of role. But he made the transition beautifully, right? Like he was he a Pat Adams, for God's sakes. And yeah, that's fair. But then, you know, there his his performances um in the school movie, which of course I'm blanking on the name right now. Um, but he you know, he there was like Goodwill Hunting, there was Yeah. One hour for he exactly he had to go really dramatic and he was able to. I don't think she was able to. We're also we're talking about a person whose career ended in her early 30s. Yeah, that's true. If Marilyn Monroe had lived into her 40s and 50s and still wanted to act, it would have been very interesting to see A, what roles they would have given her when she couldn't play the same sex spot. Interesting. 
as a woman, we know she was already nearing the end of it in her career. That's yeah. why I would just say we. I want to contextualize it like that. I'd like to pick like four movies from like the later parts of her career and talk about them in the context of, okay, what is this movie? Like, what the hell is going on? Yeah. And then her performance in the movie, does it fit the movie? And what is it saying about that persona? How yeah. far did she get a break from it? If it wasn't Marilyn Monroe, who was a different actress that playing that character in that same way, could we see past Marilyn? Do we ever get to see past Marilyn in any of these in any of these performances? Yeah, yeah, agreed. So um, a seven year itch, which is like yeah. 1955, because so I would say that's the early that's the beginning to me of when she started to shift. She's married to Joe DiMaggio already at this point, I think, or dating him. Yeah, yeah, already like in the public eye, huge center of the public eye. Like she can't go anywhere. Everything she does is already looked at. And here's this movie based on a play. And she's basically in this movie, a fabrication, almost an imagination of herself. Like she is this main character's like idea of something and never leaves pretty much like, I think only once we ever see her outside of one set. That's right. That's right. They they leave the apartment just for the big iconic dress scene. That's it. Subway great. That's it. They go to the movies. Everything else is in her apartment or his apartment, upstairs, downstairs, in you know. Right. So with- let's just clarify for people. The Seven Year Itch is not a Marilyn Monroe movie. She is a supporting player in this movie. She's the object of a attention and affection. Yeah. It's really a movie about a guy whose wife and family are off in the Catskills, I think, or somewhere. Yeah, somewhere in you know somewhere Upstate in New York, cooler, cooler. Stay back to work, and the and the kind of trouble he gets himself into by navigating how to be a bachelor who's really attached. Right, and boy, right away, like no no period of time of even easing into it. It's sort of like oh, he would never cheat on his wife, and then all of a sudden it was like on the table. And that's to me, this movie immediately tells you this is a movie that's us. Uh, a satire and a commentary about society. This is not meant to be played to be straight up. Yeah. This is already making you like question about like what's the nature of of masculinity in this age of this pre like free love age. Um, I don't know about you, but this is the first time I've ever seen that film. Me too. I fell kept falling asleep. I thought it was so boring. Did you like it? I can't say I liked it. I can say I appreciated when I found out it was based on a play. It made a lot more sense, like yeah. if, especially because the lead actor had played the character on Broadway. Because mm-hmm. um, I was like, why would they cast this guy? But I was yeah. like, oh, it, it's a comedy. It's a comedy in a sense. It's a uh, it's a movie that's very much about you know like Billy Wilder. It's a play on circumstance and language. I actually liked the Marilyn in this movie. I thought she brightened up the scenes she was in. Not just with her looks, because she had, you know, great costumes and stuff, but just her persona and her character and the way she rat-a-tat-tat is like uses dialogue as a weapon almost, mm-hmm. as much as she does her hips and her bounce. Mm-hmm. Let's say. Um, I, I kind of think of myself like, okay, I'm kind of like not that interested in this movie or this lead character, but every time she's on screen, I want to watch more of it. Mm-hmm. I'm interested in like what's going to happen. Are they going to get caught? Is she going to get... Where is she going to pull back from? And she just had this way, especially those scenes where, like, it was too hot to be in her apartment. She was downstairs and cooling off. And you're just like, she just brings this, like, tension into the room that's so spectacular. You know, just the way everybody falls on her. Like, I got to say, the uh, the funny thing for me is watching the movie and finally getting to the scene. I'm waiting the whole movie to see this, you know, that we all know her is dating. It was actually, like, the lamest scene in the whole movie. Like, yeah. It, for for a scene to be so iconic that is actually so limited in terms yeah. of like its value in the larger context is phenomenal because yeah. that was the you use that for posters they use that and all i could think about was like what would it look like to live there it'd be like people go you know and you know nowadays we see trailers and we're so pissed off that they gave away the end yeah this is a movie i would have gone to if i was expecting that to be like a yeah. highlight of the movie i would be like uh you just advertised this movie for that scene Really? Well, I look at it in the context of Blonde, the film. You can't imagine making a movie about Marilyn Monroe's life without including the filming of that scene. And yet, that scene has nothing really to do with the movie <laughs> or the plot or anything. It's just this moment and 
she is beautiful and she is sexy and she is all of those things. But like, what the hell did that even have to do with the whole film? I, I think it has to do with male fantasy and with the almost the viral nature of male fantasy, like, and the wanting to share that exposure and yeah. literally exposure. Um, it, it, it kind of hurt. It hurt both watching that scene depicted in Blonde and then watching the movie and thinking to yourself, like, these were men controlling her and telling her to do things. I felt in that movie her talent as a comedic actress. Mm. And then, like, oh, you made me do that. You didn't do that to any of the other actors, or other, especially the men, and ask them to to essentially make themselves humiliated and vulnerable that way. Yeah. To, to do what? It didn't add to the story. It didn't add to the part. And I, I felt like that movie kind of set me off in, this, in that question of, like, how much exposure does she have to give uh, or is she being forced to give just to be able to play the part? Interesting. Well, I'll, I'll admit that watching this film, <clears throat> you got a lot more out of it than I did because I'm watching, I was watching it and this is where, you know, I have other films of hers that I love and that I love her in. And yet in this movie, I, it's when I started to question, like, is she even a good actress or is she just an iconic actress? And is and is this like playing of this dumb blonde part? Is this really, you know, and the breathy and whatever, like, is that all she can do? And and yet there are other films where I really like her in the film, but I also thought they were better films. So I think like Gentleman Before Blondes is like the counter. She's using that same breathy yeah. thing. She's doing her same comedy. If anything, I think she's even more playing up the quote unquote ditzy factor in Gentleman Before Blondes. Yeah. But the thing I thought was interesting, I watched Gentleman Before Blondes with Daria and Mina. First of all, it was a much more delightful film to watch. It was just so well written. The, the music was great. She's in control. Yeah. Like, as ditzy as you think he is, from the beginning of the movie to the end of the movie, that character and Marilyn performing that character feels way more in control than Seven Year Itch, where she she just looked like the object of someone's imagination. And here it's like this object of everybody's affection yeah. and desire. She's actually like totally in control. And I thought the balance of those two, uh, that breathiness, that way she talks, just like I find it to be somewhat unnerving, if not grating at times. Yeah. But she uses it to such advantages throughout the movie to – to play it up and that's why i think like she's a great comedic actress like she exactly. really knows how to hit that timing and how to make it land um what's her name was in that film who's the other actress i'm blinking on her name uh jane russell jane russell i actually felt like you know this is clearly Marilyn monroe at all her glory but this was actually jane russell's movie and sure for all the attention Marilyn got and then Marilyn is the bombshell even though we know from the backstory that was depicted in blonde and otherwise that she got paid pennies on the dollar yeah. for this movie because you know she was because of her contract. Jane Russell is amazing. Yeah, and when you're watching Jane Russell this movie, and you're watching Jane Russell, and you're like, okay, Marilyn knows how to play this part really well, but Jane Russell is a great actress. Yeah, and that's the part that makes me wonder if, like, if we ever got to see Marilyn not just be able to play this role great, but also be able to go beyond and it's kind of reminds me of like paul newman and tom cruise when they did that movie in the 80s the color of money it's like okay tom cruise is really good about playing this character but next to paul newman like you're seeing what a real actor can do with yeah. any character and jane yeah. russell just felt like that in this movie she was she was so good and so amazing and like and sexy also in a very different way than then Marilyn was being, it was presented that way. And you can't forget. And there is something interesting in that in most of her films, there are iconic moments, right? There's the dress in seven year rich in this movie. I mean, it's lived on all the way up to Madonna. It's diamonds are a girl's best friend. But I actually think like it was a great dance number and it comes at the end of the film. Really? It's not really that important to the movie. It is the coda to the movie. And you can feel them having to put that in there almost. Like, oh, shoot, we need a Marilyn uh, crazy scene, you know, scene. That movie's actually before The Seven Year Rich, so it's hard to measure them before the two. But I agree with you. Like, that number is what's memorable. And that song. Even though, and it doesn't matter. It's same with the dress. It really doesn't matter to the movie. You could easily have Gentlemen Preferred Blondes 
without diamonds are a girl's best friend. However, when I like in my mind's eye, when you mention the movie name, my brain immediately pictures her in the diamonds and the pink dress and the pink gloves and all of the men surrounding her. There's no, it's inextricably linked. And you know, same with Seven Year Itch. I didn't know anything about the film except the dressing, right? So it also reminds me of like there's a few things from different movies, like uh, Phoebe Cates coming out of the pool in Fast Times. Exactly. Like I don't think you remember exactly. any other scene from Fast Times. If you remember Phoebe coming, that it's been spoofed and, and used in 500 films afterwards. That's Here's, right. Like, right. Jennifer for Blondes. We, we could forget the rest of the movie as long as we know that that, that scene, and that's I think the power of Marilyn. Um, and and how they used her. Um, yeah. A little bit later in her career, we have uh, the Some Like It Hot, which is also again with Billy Wilder. And Billy Wilder had some really nasty things to say about Marilyn. Yeah. And she probably in her uh, drug use and drinking didn't really give him a good time, as depicted in Blonde. Some Like It Hot for me is is really the only movie I remember. That's right. Of Marilyn's, like I know that movie partially because. As much as it is Marilyn Monroe's movie, like Tony Curtis and Jack Lemmon are unbelievable. It's a great plot. It's a great story. It really felt like the best vehicle for her where it wasn't just asking her to play this persona, but the persona was essential to the story. And if you talk about an iconic moment, that moment to the end, you know, the three of them on the street. It's one of the most famous movie lines of all time, right? Nobody's perfect. That film is the one that I think of as my favorite Marilyn Monroe film. And, but you're right. It really isn't her film. It's really their film, but I love her in this. Gentlemen Prefer Blondes wasn't really her film. Then Seven Year Hitch wasn't really her film. And here's, you know, this movie, which isn't really her film. Right. You know, there's other movies we're skipping over. There's the one with the prince and the showgirl, which is, by the way, the making of that film is depicted in My Week with Marilyn. Michelle Williams plays Marilyn Monroe in that film. And I have to say, that to me, standard of portraying Marilyn Monroe. See, I completely disagree. I know you do. I, think, I think Michelle Williams gives a brilliant performance as this actress named Marilyn in this movie, which is depict- is a fictionalized account right. of what happened in making that movie. But I think it is a great Michelle Williams performance. I do not think it is a great characterization of Marilyn Monroe. I don't think she does a great Marilyn. When you look at her and you look at her performance in that movie, if you go look at that movie and you look at the way Michelle Williams predicted it, like they're not the same thing. All right, let me make my case because I just watched it before, you know, to prepare for this. And what I liked so much about her, well, there were two things. Number one, it's, it's about the making of The Prince and the Showgirl. By the way, this depiction of the making of Prince of Show is way more interesting than the actual movie. Yes, yes, that's fair. And there's this scene where she's like dancing and trying to remember the moves and to herself. And in that scene, when you see the whole everybody falling in love, you know, Laurence Olivier, who Marilyn has been driving her crazy this entire week driving him crazy because she's unreliable and she needs her acting coach and oh, she needs two hours to cry and whatever it is. And he's going, just, you know, just act lady. This is the moment where he sees what, what her brilliance is. Right. And the reason that I think this performance is so good is because it's not just the put on of what Marilyn always was putting, like what Norma Jean was always putting on Marilyn, it was just toned down enough to make it feel more real to me. And so I think this is, I think this is such an incredible performance. Now, I know you disagree, and I'm going to- I don't disagree, it's a great performance. I would have given Oscars this performance. I think Michelle Williams is amazing. She was not I don't think she did a great Marilyn. I think if you would have called the character Catherine and happened to be a a bombshell actress who was going through a <laughs> problematic relationship and was having an affair on the side with a young uh, production assistant. Like, great movie. 
I just think when you look at the performances of other people who have played Marilyn Monroe, or you look at Marilyn uh, Monroe's own performances of playing herself. Yeah. But I think that's a credit to her. I think Michelle Williams didn't try to do a impersonation of Marilyn. Right. That's why I like it. Gave a great performance to help you understood what this character was going through. I will also say my week with Marilyn should give you an insight. That this is not a Marilyn's movie either. Marilyn is a side character in this movie right. to the main character who is a young person struggling with their own coming of age story and the role Marilyn plays in helping him along that journey. So um, who is your favorite portrayer of Marilyn? So I think Ashley Judd and Mira Sorvino's performances in the in Norma Jean and Marilyn in the, I think it's 1995 yeah, yeah, or six. HBO was fantastic. Mira mm-hmm. Sorvino particularly doing a Marilyn. Yep. I will actually say if you can get beyond the director's, to me, some inexcusable permission to Anna de Armas to let her Cuban accent out at times. Oh, God, it drove me crazy. I know it didn't bother you, but it really bothered me. Oh, I can't say it didn't bother me. It bothered me. But I kept on asking myself, what's the director doing here? Is this intentional? And there's a part of me that felt it was intentional at times. Hmm. Um, Because this is a movie that's about spirals, and he's spiraling back to the actual actress that's playing Hmm. the character. I thought Anna de Armas was the best performance of Marilyn we've ever had. And I think if you think about the way that she used her body, her voice, her eyes, everything about her invited us into understanding who Marilyn was, what she was going through. I mean, I'm horrified at times about what this screenplay, this director forced us to watch that she went through. I think it's exploitative at times. Mm. Um, And I think that's part of their point. And it makes me nauseous, Mm -hmm. but I do think Anna de Armas is, I don't think anybody has captured Marilyn the way she did. And I don't mean in the scenes that everybody's going to talk about, like the JFK scenes or the almost somewhat over the top scenes. I mean, the scenes where she was just her to herself in the dressing room in her home, Mm. Um, even those early scenes with that's the name playing Joe DiMaggio. There is something about her that she captured that what made Marilyn Monroe so captivating and infuriating mm. at the same time. Mm. And it was it was a beautiful performance. I hope this, that the Academy catches up to this movie again as they're making their votes. Because I don't know. There's going to be some good competition for Best Actors this year, as there should be always. Yep. This is a, this is a performance. Now, I'll say this also. We went back this week and watched... Uh, Movie to me that to me makes her everything to me, which is Knives Out, and yeah. we watched that in anticipation of Glass Onion coming out in a few weeks. Yeah, and just to see how much I loved her mm. in Knives Out and how good of an actress she is in playing that character, and I did love her in the Bond movie, and then seeing like this performance in this role, I mm. do think like a I think she made that movie. I think that movie has a lot of holes in it blonde i'm referring to yeah but her persona um is was just so the the way that she helped us understand those personas, i thought the scenes that she had with her with those two lovers the yeah. chaplain and robinson kids yeah. by the way it was uh bobby cannavale bobby cannavale played, played Robinson, yes. yeah I, I just thought like like i never like you kind of understand what she's trying to build with this Maryland thing and how it gets away from her mm-hmm. and how she's completely lost to find her way back yeah. in a way. I don't think any performance has, and you know, it does not really cover the period that Michelle Williams covered with uh, right. a brief three weeks, a week with Marilyn. Yeah. Um, but I would say like Michelle Williams performance was exquisite. You, you said you read the book by Joyce Carol Oates, right? Yeah. That yeah. blonde is based on, I don't think I ever could have imagined that book is this movie. Like hmm. I almost treat them like I know where they got the conceit from, but this is a totally different piece of art. Interesting. Well, I, I, I have to admit that I found the seeping through of the Cuban accent very distracting. I did think she was good. Um, it was it was a very long film and it was um, it was really disturbing. It was it was so depressing. The idea that this is all her life was was bad, you know. My God, Jody, that scene where they're like they're they're picking her to go, uh, getting pushed to go get that abortion. Yeah. And in light of everything that's going on about abortions, I'm watching this scene. I'm going like, 
sometimes you wonder in a movie, like, are you trying to hurt us? Are you trying to make us watch it? And my only conclusion in this movie is yes. This yeah. was a movie intended to force us to see and be depressed by something that still exists within our society. It's not just left in the 60s or 50s. Right. And I mean, even her time filming Some Like It Hot, which is like the most delightful, wonderful, comedic, you know, there's just no part of her life that she seems to be enjoying the trappings of being Marilyn Monroe. None of it. But, I mean, it's hard. Maybe she couldn't. Like, that's what we're left to believe when we look at these celebrities, that they're all having a ball. the time of their lives. And maybe they're not. You know, maybe we get to watch the Oscars and it looks like everybody's having a blast. I think we got a hint at Will Smith's life behind uh, the curtains when he went out and slapped uh, Chris Rock. That things are not so easy and hunky-dory and joyful just because you're a millionaire. You have a bunch of Oscars and, you know, everybody adores you. Like, that's what I think Blonde is telling us. Mm. And, you know, I also was curious about the, the title Blonde and about, like, what is – what was blonde to this person and gentlemen prefer blondes and like the whole blonde thing. So I want to bring us to the last movie, which is actually her last performance was, is the misfits, which I thought to be the most, the movie that was most outside of her canon mm -hmm. in terms of the type of movie it is. And also she's still playing the persona once again. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, it's a fascinating movie with two also somewhat has been actors or actors nearing the age end of her career. I think it's uh, Clark Gables. I, I haven't seen this one. This is. I this think it's his last performance, and I think it was Burt Lancaster died of an overdose or something. Hmm. Um, a <laughs> year or two later, like it's this is dark stuff, and it's also a dark movie, and it's also a movie that could feel like, like a play. It has a certain kind of like uh, conceit to it takes place yeah. mostly in a few different, you know, scenarios. And she's still playing this kind of like alluring blonde character that kind of like gets taken along for the ride. There's an insertion of agency that did remind me of um, gentlemen refer blondes, like that this tension that she has, her character has between kind of being pulled along for the ride versus I'm, I'm, I'm bringing, taking this where I want it to go. And in the last act of the film, she takes control. And there's a it's a very difficult last 10, 15 minutes to watch because there's a lot of movement between the characters and, and kind of like allegiances. And she's the only one that seems to be doing the right thing. Um, but it's also a movie of forgiveness and self-forgiveness that just feels like it's a commentary of where she must have been at in this point in her career. Um, it was told that she was very difficult sometimes to work with on set and not always available and already but I think she gives – when I watch this movie, this is the movie I wish she would have gotten her Oscar for. Huh. Like I could see all the other ones. You're just saying, okay, she's playing a part. She knows how to play. In this one, she's taking that part, and she takes it to the next level. And it's it's fantastic. And it's great to see her with these two other great – these other great actors and what they're doing with the parts. And I, I feel like it's a movie – John Huston directed it, and he's yeah. a fantastic director. Yeah. And I just – I wish this was a movie more people knew about and to watch than, let's say, Seven Year Itch hmm. or something like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. And that it's her last. And I'm kind of watching this movie going like, wow, she's actually onto something here. And too bad she didn't get it tried again. Wow. All right. I'll go back and watch it on your recommendation. You know, I, I, listen, it's not an easy movie to watch. Like, it actually leans more towards what you're what blonde than it is to gentlemen prefer blondes um, yeah. in terms of. <laughs> positive energy and excitement it's a it's a tough movie about a bunch of people who who are sad and drink too much and are a little violent and mm. um and lost in this terrain um so it's it's very interesting and listen she was in a lot of films a lot of delightful films how to marry a millionaire is another one of my real, real favorites with lauren bacall and i mean it's it's a it's a fun you know, lighthearted, and she plays the same character that she always plays, kind of a dumb blonde, but, you know, like, there's yeah. there's something charming about it, and especially juxtaposed right next to Lauren Bacall as Shotzi, one of my favorite character names in a movie. Um, so, you know... It's like I, something straight out of West Side Story. Yeah, exactly. It's like, there's... there's uh, I, I do like the kind of delightfulness 
that you get from a lot of her films. And, you know, so I got to watch The Misfits because this is a whole different direction that I've never seen her play. Yeah, I feel like you're, I think like one thing there is to say is like, obviously we did not live in the time frame of Maryland, but I can understand for people that did. Like her movies brought joy to people. And what was the cost to her for all that joy that other people got from her, salacious or otherwise? Yeah. And for her to make a movie like a Misfits and become her last movie and sadly die, um, yeah. like you ask yourself, like, okay, what could she have gone next? Would we never got the chance to see her be able to come for her own self? I think she loved to act. I don't think it was something she just did for money. I think there was something about getting lost in these roles, and she was a very apparently she was very invested in a certain method and approach, mm-hmm. and spent a lot of time studying. She wasn't great at memorizing lines. She mm-hmm. wasn't great at some of the technical aspects of acting, yeah. but you know what? What we've learned the last 50 years since her time and since the movie business has changed is who gives a shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. If you, if you can make us feel You've been like- letting Al Pacino in movies for 40 years. You know? <laughs> so is that what you think makes her legacy so special? I mean, there are a lot of really outstanding actors and actresses Kate Hepburn, like you don't see people making movie upon No, I think she died young. I think that she was a sex pot and it's easy to sell sex even after someone's dead. And three is that she was such an enigma. Mm. And you put those three things together as you can create mythology. Interesting. And look, there's this, um, there's this legacy of people knowing that she was not happy. She was never a happy person. And yet, she also was tasked. Oh with- yeah, you think about all that tabloid stuff and what that did to actually increase her notoriety. Yeah, decrease it. The more she fought with the public and not wanting to give herself, and and yet letting everybody know her business with Arthur Miller or business with uh, Joe DiMaggio or all these other people. I gotta say, watching that blonde stuff with her mother in the beginning, especially. Oh God! Oh God! And you just think, like, like what a survivor. Yeah. But like. What is the cost of surviving? Yeah. It's not just the cost. We think about what the cost of fame is. We think about the cost of of celebrity, but also what's the cost of su- surviving? And I think we look at other people like Brittany Murphy in the last few years. Oh, God, that's heartbreaking. Um, Someone who probably could have done very well playing Marilyn Monroe, actually. Yeah. She lived. Brittany Murphy. I, I will say I did feel like Anna DeArmas' performance was great, but I still thought she was a few sizes too small. Yeah. And to understand how Marilyn Monroe, you know, carried herself as a certain sized woman. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's a really lost in some of that casting. It's really interesting because they say that she was a size 16. Now, by the way, size 16 in the fifties is about a size six today. So, but you know, there's no, there but, are very few. I'm sorry. If you, you watch general for blondes if you watch some like it hot if you watch the misfits it's not just that she was a certain size yeah is that her body type yeah was something that was both used by her and celebrated yeah. in the movies as something alluring and sexy yeah that right. unfortunately we only ascribe to people like kim kardashian now yeah, yeah. Well, there's a lot of people who made a lot of uh, asides, and I say it's not fair. I'm not going to talk about Kim Kardashian's business sense or her ability to manipulate the public yeah. uh, through her celebrity, but Marilyn Monroe, I-, I hope in watching some of these movies we- and going back to them and not just looking at them, we realize Marilyn Monroe was actually a very talented per- actress and performer. She wasn't just a celebrity cashing in on her celebrity. Okay. I'm willing to buy it because, as you know, because we talked about this uh, off the podcast, as I was watching these films, I wasn't sure how I felt about her as an actor. Is she a powerful actor or is she, you know, a one hit wonder, a one note, a one note wonder, really? And so I'm going to I think after this conversation, the thing that you always do for me, Yichiel, I'm going to go back and relook at some of these films through the lens that you have shared, because I think, you know, you 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 are great at cutting through bullshit on film and and in particular you see through uh performative kinds of of roles and so i'm you know you're you're giving me something well, okay, so we're all able to have our opinion and we can all judge Marilyn. 
let's just not judge her because of the way we've conditioned to. Yeah. Um, that's, I think, the biggest thing Blonde teaches us. Go check out Blonde. It's on Netflix. We'd love to hear what you have to say about both and Armistice's performance, but also of how the movie makes you feel. And check out some of Marilyn's old films and, and even ones we didn't mention. And tell us what's your favorite, which one we should have watched and, and didn't mention. Yeah. And, you know, uh, we're very grateful to have the chance to have this podcast to be able to revisit things like this. Yeah. Um, yeah. But we will come back to uh, more contemporary films for our next conversation. That's right. And and don't forget, we do have we have some uh, films that we're going to watch with some filmmakers. Another we're going to bring back another filmmaker, we think. And we have, of course, it's time for winter previews and our spring previews. So there's a lot on the horizon with two movies. That's great. Lots of great movies. Uh, I'll just mention we had on Lisa Hurwitz from the Automat It is now available on HBO Max to watch. Where's and it? it was also, I believe, last week right before Thanksgiving, it's now on Turner Classic Movies. And if you catch an airing of it, um, Lisa, who we had on first in our podcast, is is interviewed to intro and outro the film as well. And I've heard it is very likely to be shortlisted uh, for the documentary Oscar. Which Well, so... how about that? And wouldn't we want to see her win on the show, Yechiel? Should I, I just want to get the text at 5 a.m. saying that she's nominated. All right. Well, I will surely be up at 5, 518. I will surely be not because uh, the Internet's going to have it just as easily. I know. I love to watch the announcements, and I will personally text you if there's news. <laughs> um, okay. Well, looking forward to our next conversation, Jody. I know we have lots of good movies to see. Always. Have, have fun at the movies. And tell someone about Two Movie Jews. We love to get subscribers. Give us your feedback. Rate us on all the places that you rate podcasts. You can find us, of course, on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, Stitcher, and others. Please follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Two Movie Jews. You can also follow me, Jody Berman, at Jody B, J O D I B E E. And you can follow Yahil on Twitter at Yak Kaufman. And let us know if you have a topic you'd like us to cover. So that's our episode for this week. Jody. it's been great getting to talk about movies with you. It's really my favorite thing to do. Me too. It's my favorite thing to do too. So, l'chaim. To life. To movies.